right back on. Good morning. You know, Brian told me this week that he was going to start with a song, and I thought, yeah, he's upset with me because I keep staying in the back and forgetting it's time to start. Confess, is that the reason? Oh, okay. <laughs> Good to see you guys today. Good to be together. If we can't get any rain, at least we got some cool air, and so we'll take that and appreciate that and keep praying for that rain to come. It's kind of ironic that today we're talking about the flood and how Will you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful, glorious day, and uh, thank you for this time that you've allowed us to come here to sing wonderful, beautiful songs of praise to you and to uh, hear lessons come from your word. I ask that you be with all those families uh, that are not able to be here today uh, and all those that are sick and afflicted, if it is your will to return the least of portion. Ashes awake, light the fire. Good morning. It is good to see you here today. It's good to be together as God's family. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're uh, in the middle of a study of Genesis. 
where our Bible classes are talking about Genesis. We're talking about Genesis in our uh, worship time together and primarily looking at how Genesis uh, teaches us about families and lays the foundation for family life. And we understand that God is not only concerned about our families at home together, but He's also concerned about us, our spiritual family that is called together to be His church. So we thank you for coming and being a part of this family. For many of us, we've been members of this family for a long time, and uh, it has been such a blessing in our lives. We know we have guests with us as well, and our arms are open to you. We would like to be your family, too. If you would like to um, uh, know more about this church, you're welcome just to come and worship with us and fly under the radar if you choose. But if you'd like to know more about the church, would like to visit with a staff member or an elder, if you will leave us your name and some contact information, give us a cell number or an email address, and we'll be glad to contact you and let you ask any of those questions and to continue the dialogue and to see if this might not be the family for you. You can do that on those cards in front of you. Our members are all signing their names to the member side of that card. And if you will just give us that information on the guest side, then we would appreciate it. This weekend, oh, one more thing. Uh, First Sunday of the month, remind our members that we are remaining faithful in our commitment to pay off the debt on the new building behind us. And as I told first service, and I've told you before, uh, I'm an old track guy. I, I love track metaphors and used to run the quarter. And I can remember rounding that last curve and how bad you were feeling. But there was the finish line and you got to get there. And that's kind of where we are right now. There's the finish line. It's, we've been so faithful in running this race and it's just almost done. And so we appreciate your faithfulness and encourage our members to uh, continue to be a part of that. And it'll soon be done. This weekend's been a special week for the uh, Campus Center, and we're going to invite Doug Johnson to come and to share a special moment with us at this time. Good morning. Tommy mentioned that there's some of us here that have been members here for a while, and uh, yesterday at the Campus Center, we um, and a lot of the alumni that came into town celebrated the birthday, the 75th birthday. Let us pray. Holy Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being our shelter. We thank you for being the life giver. We thank you for being our refuge. Lord, we pray for protection from sickness, from disease, from those who oppose us. And Lord, we pray that we can love our enemies and that we can shine your light and contradict a world of sin. Help us to shine your light to others so that they may see your glory and protect us as we do it. In your sin's name we pray. Amen. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for uh, this beautiful morning, uh, for the blessings that you... Living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you 
a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. And whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. For example, for most of us, that's the ark. Now, that's the best picture I could find. However, it wasn't the one I wanted because the one I wanted always has a giraffe sticking his head out of the ark, right? But this is kind of what we think of with the ark. We make toys like this and we see pictures that the ark looked something like that. However, If you read the description of the ark, it didn't really look anything like that. It probably looked more like this. It was a rather large boat. In fact, we were talking in class, and with Bob Bruni's help, who's got all this naval history in his mind, there was no ship ever built as large as the ark ark was until the 19th century. That it took that long again before we had the technology to build a boat this big. It was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, four and a half stories tall, and was basically a big floating barge. Three stories in it, three floors full of animals and food, and of course, Noah's family. Another misconception has to do, I think, with the rainbow. And we read that portion of the scripture, and I I hope you notice, because 
When we see a rainbow, we think how pretty it is. We think about God, and it perhaps reminds us of God's promise that he would not destroy the world again with a flood. However, if you read carefully, you notice that the bow is not there to remind us of this. Who is it to remind? God. And, and even though the NIV that I read has rainbow there, the real word is just bow. And the whole point is that God hung his weapon up. And that's really the point of the story of, of the flood is that this is what God had to do at that point, but he changed how he deals with us now. He no longer is going to destroy us on this earth because of our sinfulness, but he pledges to be faithful and patient and loving with us, encouraging us to repent and to change and to come and to be his family. And as a sign of that, he takes this beautiful natural occurrence of the rainbow and he says, when I see that, I'm going to remember that I took my weapon, my bow, and I hung it up and I'm not going to use it on my people anymore. Another example of perhaps something we don't think about is that we think of the flood as lasting how long? What's what's the uh, 40 days and 40 nights. Sing cute little songs. It rained and rained for 40 daisy daisies. Yeah, okay. But if you read the account, that's how long it rained. But how long were Noah and his family in the ark? For a year plus a few days. In the ark with Noah and his family. How many of you have taken a family trip in the car for a week? How did that go? You know, if you think back to your own experiences of being cooped up in a rather small environment for a week, even though the ark was larger than that, it's not that big to live with your family for a year. So if Noah and his family were people, and the last I checked, I think they were, then you can imagine some of the things that went on inside the ark and some of the things that were said. How many times did someone say, you're already ahead of me, aren't you? Are we there yet? How much longer? Or how many times was it said, dad, tell my brother to stay on his side of the ark? Or, I know Noah said at least once, don't make me stop this ark. (laughs) Yeah, they were people. And you know that a lot of things went on there that we don't have the details of. And we know it probably wasn't all good because we have more of this story. And Noah's family was much like Yours and my family. Lots of good, but there are frustrations as well. When we read in chapters 8 and 9 that they got out of the ark, they finally got to leave, we can only imagine the relief they felt as they got to once again be up on dry ground and to look around and the vegetation was growing. And the first thing they did was they built an altar and they took some of those clean animals that God had told them to take an extra supply of those, and this seems to be the reason for that. 
And they were able then to offer those as sacrifices and worship God and all seemed to be well in the world again. But if we keep reading, we find out that all was not perfect. It's not perfect in any family. And that was true of Noah's as well. Toward the end of chapter 9, we read about a disturbing incident. One that's so disturbing, I didn't want to even read it from the pulpit in a mixed group of people. Now, if you'd like to take your Bible and open it up and follow along, I'm going to give you the sketchy details of it. But you can read the rest of it and make up your own mind what is going on here. It's a story about Noah who, as he became, as he got out of the ark, he, he planted a vineyard. Says he was a man of the soil. He decided he'd go into farming. And he, was, he planted a vineyard and he grew his grapes. And, and for the first time in the Bible, we read of someone making wine. And so Noah made his wine, and all through the Bible, wine is usually presented as, as something, that, that is to, uh, you know, something that God gives as a gift to humanity. But like all of God's gifts, it can be abused and misused. And so Noah overindulges in the wine that he has made, and he ends up in his tent in a rather undignified and compromised position. And that's when his son Ham comes on the scene. And we don't know what the relationship between Noah and his son Ham had been up to this point. Can guess, but we don't know. It's interesting there, I don't know if you mentioned this in class or not, that when we say Noah's sons, we always give the biblical order of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, which would mean Ham would be the middle child, right? But in this story, he's identified as the youngest son. I don't know. Anyway, Ham discovers his father in his drunken and exposed state. And what happens from there, we don't know. The Bible is kind of obscure. A lot of times when the Bible gets to portions like this where it kind of just sort of goes on over and we don't know what happened. There's a lot of ideas, some very sinister, some very sickening. But we do know this, that Ham, in his reaction totally disrespected his father. He went out, and we know that he told his his other brothers what he had seen. And the way he told them, obviously, was a real problem. I don't know what he said. Well, you ought to see Mr. Righteousness now. This guy that thinks he's better than everybody else, Mr. Holier than thou, go take a peek at him now. See what he did. Now, I'm putting words in his mouth. I don't know. But I do know that he did not respect his father. The other two boys, when they heard about it, did show respect. And went in, and even though their father had failed, and their father had made a grievous mistake, they still treated him with honor and dignity and respect. When Noah came to himself discovered what was going on in the family results in a curse. It's what happens in families with disrespect. Results in a curse. And whose fault was it? Well, it was Ham's fault. 
Even Ham's son Canaan somehow gets into the act, doesn't he? If you read the account or are reading it now, you, you, that's sort of a head-scratcher too, how he got involved. But somewhere we just don't have all the details. And some of us won't, might want to blame Noah for this as well, and that's okay. I think there's enough blame in this to go around. But what the point of it all is, is that when something like this happens in a family... There are mistakes that are made. There are words that are said. There is disrespect shown. The result is a curse. And the result is a fractured family. One of the cornerstones of godly living is a mutual love and respect within the family. That is bedrock. That is all through the Bible. That this is one of God's greatest longings for us, His children. Is that we learn to show love and respect and honor, first of all and foremost, within our families. Now, we know some passages that back that up. One of the most frequently repeated commands in Scripture. It's one of the big ten, isn't it? And yet it shows up all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament of all the Ten Commandments that are picked up and brought over into the New Testament. This is the one that appears the most and is emphasized the most is honor your father and mother. Now we use that to beat our kids over the head, don't we? Show me respect. (laughs) No, we don't do that. But we do point that out a lot to the kids. What we need to also remember, those of us who are parents or grandparents, is that there are a lot of passages, too, that tell moms and dads to be honorable people. To be people that it is easy to show respect and love and honor. Parents who teach their children about God. Parents who show their children who God is by the way they live and by the way they interact with them. Who do not exasperate them, as the book of Ephesians points out. Now, this is absolute truth, and I want to repeat it again, that one of the very cornerstones of godly living is showing mutual love and respect within the family. And if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, please hear this next statement. It is for that very reason that the family is so, much, is so important to God. It is for that reason that Satan launches his most accurate and deadly attacks at families. He knows that if God can have the family, God can have the world. This is true in this story with Noah's family, the one who was so righteous that God saved him in the ark. It will be true in Abraham's family. It will be true in Isaac's family, in Jacob's family, in David's family, in your family, and in mine. We know that's true because of what we see. We also know it's true because of the way God 
treats the subject. There is a passage at the end of the Old Testament. As Tony Ash used to say, from the Italian prophet Malachi. Malachi. The Old Testament ends with a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. This promise that God started all the way back at the flood, he has carried through the whole Old Testament. And he has begun to develop a plan or unfold his plan. It was developed well before this, but began to unfold his plan and how he was going to save the people. And how he was going to call his family back together. And how he was going to correct the evil that is in the world. And that plan was the sending of a Messiah. And in this last portion of Malachi, he tells the people, be watching, be waiting. And before I send my Messiah, I'm going to send ahead of him, who? Elijah. Remember that? That the prophecy is that he will send Elijah ahead of the Messiah. And then when we turn over in the New Testament, we find out that Elijah is identified with whom? John the Baptist. That he came and shouted, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now we know that. And we know that that's in that last verse, the last passage in the Old Testament. is saying, get ready, because I'm coming. I'm going to send Elijah. But let's read the rest of that passage. You ready? Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Now, terrible doesn't mean like we think of as being bad. It means awesome. This this day that's going to change everything, this holy day of the Lord. I will send Elijah before that. And did you notice what he says will happen? He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. Isn't that amazing? That God was doing all this so that children would love their parents and parents would love their children and that there would not be curse upon this earth. Wow. Every one of us sitting in this room today can speak of curse within our families. Now, some of us have great families. But there's still an element there that is not so great. Our families are under attack. We can see that in the popular culture of the day. You know, Pat and I have gotten to where we do not watch sitcoms anymore. <laughs> we used to sit and laugh, and, but so many of them, we just don't find funny anymore. We don't find the attitudes between parents and children, the things they talk about and how they talk to each other. It's just, we just said, that's not entertaining. That's painful. Now, I, I never really wanted to be one of these old guys that said, oh, things aren't as good as they used to be. But some things aren't as good as they used to be. <laughs> you know, Homer and Bart Simpson are a far cry from Andy and Opie Taylor. The relationship is different, it's changed, and it's an attack upon our own relationships and how we get along. Family structures are so different. 
Now, we old guys like to think back in the good old days when every house had mom, dad, and the kids, and everybody got along. (laughs) That was never true. But yet today we do know that families are structured much differently than they used to be. There are divorces. There are so many remarriages. There are so many step situations with children shared between parents, and it's just tough. And then you move on into abusive situations. And we have people in this room that grew up in an abusive family where there is damage that is done that is lifelong and extends even into generations. And what do you do with that? I was telling Brooke and Chris as they came in this morning and we were visiting over in the office that something about the sermon came up. I said, I'm really a little worried about preaching this because this kind of talk removes a lot of scabs. There's a lot of wounds that are there. And, and how can you fix that in a 20-minute sermon? Well, you can't. But I want us to do two things before we leave today. One is that within our hearts, remember once again how important it is to God that we give it our best efforts in our family. Our best Wherever our family is right now, whatever the history of our family is, whatever the structure of our family is, that beginning today we give it our best effort. Now I've said this oftentimes before, and, and, and I, I hate to be so repetitious, but you know, it's, it's like with, there's been a new phrase that came up since our grandchildren. I don't remember doing this with our children, but with our grandchildren we'll say, they'll start talking too loud. We'll say, use your inside voice. Y'all know that phrase? Use your inside voice. Well, we need to have a family voice. That's a voice of blessing and a voice of respect. And too often times we use our family voice with the strangers or with friends or acquaintances. And the voice we use with our family is one of bitterness and hate and anger. It's just upside down. If you got to be mad and you got to be angry, go find someone you don't know and let them have it. <laughs> you know? Don't do that either, but if you got to, don't do that to the ones that's family. Now I know it's so complicated. How do you do that given this? How do you do that given that and in most of our families thankfully it's not that complicated many of us sitting out here today know that if we just show love and respect for the most part that's what we'll get back and all we've got to do is just be the one that initiates And make sure that we use our family voice when we talk to those that are so important to us. For others of us, it's going to take a real process of creativity to figure out how to do that. 
How do you, resp- how do you respond to a curse with a blessing? Especially when that curse has destroyed your life. You can go and you can talk to people with training, to people with wisdom, and say, here it is. This is what my family is. Now, how do I bless that? There's some way, there's some small step, there's something you can do to begin to reverse what has happened to you. If you will care enough to try to seek help. There's a passage I'd like to read out of 1 Peter. And again, this is another one of those passages we read quite a bit, but maybe we haven't put it into this setting, and I think this is the proper setting. You ever notice how sometimes a picture looks differently or looks different whenever you put it in a different frame? Well, put this in family frame because I think it's where it belongs. We know it is because the frame begins up in verse 7 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Husbands, in the same way, show consideration for your wives in your life together. So we set the family situation here. But if we go down to verse 8, listen to what we have. All of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another. Have a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. But on the contrary, repay with a blessing. Because this is to what you have been called, that you might inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil. Don't you wish Ham had heard that? (laughs) Let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil. Let them do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. So the call today is for us to recommit one more time that we are going to be at our best in our families. The other call is introduced at the end of that passage I just read. And it's a call to prayer. Because there are situations that probably will never be repaired in our lifetimes. But through prayer, healing can at least begin. I want to ask you if you'll pray with me for our families. Dear Father, I pray a blessing of yours upon each family that is represented in this room. May you come and live in their homes. May you bind them together with love, with respect, and with honor. Father, we pray for your healing to be in our families, especially in those who have suffered so much through family. We pray that your spirit of love will reside in them, that you will begin to bind those wounds, and that you will give them wisdom in the decisions that they make, so that through their actions, healing throughout the family can begin. Father, we pray for the resolve that how we act and how we talk and how we feel in our families will be the first thing in our lives. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.
At the end of our service, which we have come to that, we have some of our leaders who get up, our elders, staff, and they stand on the edge, and we're going to stand and sing a song, and they're there for a purpose. We used to ask people to come down to the front, but you don't have to do that necessarily. But if you are struggling with anything, a family issue, whatever, these will be there for you to go and to at least say a brief prayer with you and to begin a conversation that can continue so that healing can come to you. First of all, I want to ask for our staff and elders to go to their positions just so you can see them and know who they are and where they're going. Let's stand and sing.